Coming to you live from Big Time Decent Studios, this is The Pawcast, a show all about those furry little companions we can't help but love. Now let me send it over to your hosts, Dr. Lauren and her loving assistant, David Epstein. Welcome to The Pawcast, a show all about pets, veterinary medicine, and all things animals. I'm your host, Dr. Lauren, aka The Tiny Vet veterinarian, internal medicine specialist, and eager educator. And I am David, a.k.a. the tiny man, (laughs) actor, animal lover, and Dr. Lauren's loving husband, who is so proud that she's actually laughing at my jokes for once. This is great. The tiny husband. The tiny vet and the tiny husband. This is our tiny podcast. So on our show today, we're going to be learning about some breakthrough research in dog aging a rogue camel in Tennessee, and I am going to be answering all of your listener questions. So you guys wrote in a lot of amazing questions. Super excited to go through those. But before we get into those questions, I have a answer to a I question. I want to answer it. Fine, you can go for it. It's my turn to answer it. Thank you. So how old was the verified world's oldest dog, an Australian cattle hound named Bluey, when he died. And the options were 19, 22, 29, and 40. And according to Dog Time, good old Bluey. Is that that what the article said? Please tell me. It did. Okay. (laughs) Good old Bluey lived from 1910 to 1939 and so died at the age of 29 years and five months. That seems crazy to me. I just can't believe that. I think I've, I've met a dog on the street that was... 21 and in that meeting i thought the woman was lying to me i mean the oldest dog that i've personally ever treated it was a beagle when i was in north carolina named chloe and she was morbidly obese and for like the last so she was 23 okay and almost 24 and she was in like she had a respiratory failure but she like her diet literally consisted of kfc for like the last 10 years of her life (laughs) which is just something to it insane to me like it's just like some dogs i feel like just you know age better and actually that i'm actually going to transition into our stories then because that is actually a very good transition into my story okay go for it i mean we've probably all heard of the saying that a year in a dog's life is like seven years in a person's life like i think we've all we've all heard that we all multiply the dog age by seven And, you know, that's based on the fact that, not the fact, the thought that dogs age about seven times faster than us. But we know that large dogs can actually be much faster than that, maybe more like 10 10 times as fast as we do. And small dogs, maybe just a fraction of that. And so now scientists are looking at the genome, so the genetic makeup of more than 10,000 dogs in a dog study called the dog aging project and this study has actually been outlined in nature which is one of the if not the most prestigious science magazine and basically it's a massive interdisciplinary interdisciplinary wow leave it to me to not be able to pronounce that word um, project across both human and animal medicine that really has this power to be this potential powerful resource for the broader scientific community and I actually know on the internal medicine listserv there's all this talk about the dog aging project so like this is a thing that's happening and so 
the thought is that because dogs share their human counterparts environment and we also have sophisticated healthcare systems but because they're much shorter lived than people it's a really unique opportunity to investigate the genetic environmental and lifestyle factors that are associated with a health, healthy lifespan you can't replicate that in a laboratory with people or with dogs. You really just can't replicate aging. So basically the idea is using dogs as a model for aging in people. And so what the researchers are thinking is that the results will translate over into human medicine and provide really valuable information to the larger scientific community about aging in general. Hmm. So really cool project. And one of the sub kind of parts of this project is what they're calling the super centurion study, where they're really looking at the DNA of those dogs who live exceptionally long compared to dogs with an average lifespan. So dogs like Chloe, uh, rest in peace, Chloe, but she would be a great uh, patient to study to look at the genetics to see why are these dogs who eat KFC for 10 years right. living so much longer than their you know than well, dogs of the breed it's a, it's a study that I mean it's very cool that this is happening with animals but I had seen this before as well in the world we have blue zones where they are I don't know if you've heard yeah, of blue zones yeah, before yeah. but these are areas in the world where the average age of life is higher than anywhere else in the world so yeah. there's a place in Italy that's like that and and so it is kind of cool that you're they're studying these octogenarians yes. super, super centarians yeah <laughs> octogenarians but yeah super cool so all i'm kind of on the sidelines of that i'm not actively participating but a lot of internal medicine specialists are because we tend to see lots of geriatric patients so very cool study and i'm sure we'll be talking more about that in the future very cool yeah this is uh this is a story not filled with as as much life (laughs) i'm in our in our pilot episode i uh talked about the camel beauty pageant yeah. Um, this is a bit of a departure from that, but once again, I found myself in the camel news. Um, and this is a, <laughs> Do you have a an alert headline. on your phone? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It came up again, but this is a headline from March 10th. Cool. Um, and, um, well, in Tennessee, two men are dead after they were attacked by a camel who escaped from a petting zoo. Jeez. Um, police responded to a call that a camel was on the loose at Shirley Farms, which is about 100 miles away from Memphis. And when they arrived, they found two unconscious men. Um, as they were helping this man to, or these gentlemen to get into EMS, the camel proceeded to attack the sheriff's vehicle and oh then God. moved on to attack the deputies who were attempting to move the victims to EMS. At this time, the officers put down the camel to protect the people that were around. Now, it's still pretty unclear what inspired this camel to be so aggressive because for the most part, camels are not aggressive animals other than mating season they've been known to get a little aggressive with other male camels i mean i've been spat in the face by camels yeah, before camels they're not assholes. exactly yeah they're kind of assholes like camels are assholes. i don't know where that like camels are really nice came from because i don't think they really are all that nice yeah i don't i mean that said we were sitting on a camel when they spat on us so maybe that was like get the hell off of me but maybe to, we didn't get full-on attacked and That's killed true. yeah and yeah sad so sad story was that these uh these two gentlemen were pronounced well, dead. that is sad compared um, to my story but i will say so like we mentioned it's unclear what prompted these aggressive camels however the conditions at shirley farms have come into question as they've been a little bit questionable for a number of years. In 2019, USDA said the only access to drinking water for the camels, camels and zebra 
was through a very small, small, <laughs> through a very small, <laughs> shallow, muddy creek running through their enclosure, and there was no Aww. access to any. So they were basically, they were out of water, that's maybe. That's Yeah. So well, that's sad. I mean, there really is no upside to that story. Next well, time, no, can I you? Think, I, I mean, I, there's not an upside, <laughs> but I think it, it is, it does bring in something into, into question is that. Everyone loves a petting zoo, but I think it really begs us all to really consider the living conditions of oh, animals sure. in standards of care. Standards was, of care yeah. in in animal petting zoos yeah. or zoos and and knowing that, you know, if we are supporting them with our dollars that we're supporting animal rescue shelters or or zoos that are well and humanely operated. <laughs> Yes, I think it was a very good learning point, David, but still rather depressing. Exactly, so yeah. let's just all be really. This is where we need to <laughs> yeah. uh, insert my humps. My yeah. humps, my <laughs> And with that note, we will be at, back for our Ask the Vet section where we will answer all of your pressing questions that you have uh, written in to us. After the break. And we are back with. A segment called Ask the Vet in which you, our faithful audience members, have asked some questions for Lauren to answer. Um, so hit me. let's what was that? Said hit me. Hit me. Okay. Yeah. So I will read the questions and Lauren will answer them. Um, this one comes from Jen, also known as Chips for Dinner. Uh, what dog breed would you never own from your experience? Oh God, I don't want to piss off a lot of people here. I guess being that my own experience is as a veterinarian, I will base this answer on the breed of dog that is most commonly found in our ICU at any one time. And the answer to that question, embracing myself, <laughs> is the French Bulldog. Simply because they have so many different health issues that I would be scared. <laughs> <laughs> I would be scared for early heartbreaks. But yeah, anytime you come into our, our clinic, there is at least at least one Frenchie. I remember one time I like counted in our ICU. I think you sent me a video. I think I sent you a video. Like out of the 12 cages, cages there was nine. Yeah. That were, yeah. It was like, I think I counted like 25% Frenchies at one point. So yeah. so yes, that is uh, that would be my answer. Now, we should parlay this with, I mean, we've got a Brussels griffin. I've had boxers, Boston Terriers. So I love the squishy face dogs. Yes. And they are damn cute. And that is just. Well, I sad, think that goes into. Nice, I actually, yeah. Question for the segue. next one. Yeah. But like, what are some of the most common health questions tied with being one of these squishy face dogs, also known as a brachy. Brachycephalic. Yeah. Brachycephalic. So brachycephalics are like those classic, like all the breeds David just mentioned. Those are dogs that have squishy faced noses and they've been bred like if you look at the original French Bulldog or Boston Terrier they weren't always that squished in and so these dogs have a huge array of problems and so the biggest one is obviously respiratory we've gotten to think that that piggy sound is normal for the breed but it's not normal like mm. that is abnormal right. they are not breathing properly the mechanics of their airflow is not appropriate mm. and so they get what we call brachycephalic obstructive airway syndrome and with this condition basically it's a combination of factors related to their squishy face they often have their nostrils that are really tiny like slits so right. air can barely get in to start and then they get these other issues like their soft palate so if you put your tongue on the roof of your mouth, you feel it's hard. Mm -hmm. And then if you kind of move your tongue back, it gets soft. Yeah. So that's the soft palate. I'm going up. 
you're doing it. Yep. <laughs> and the soft palate in these breeds can be really long and it kind of flaps over the airway. And that's why you're hearing that kind of snorty noise. And then they also get things like their, their saccules in the back of their mouth kind of flip open and they often have small tracheas. And so the combination of those things just makes it a breathing disaster. And as a consequence of their airway dynamics, they also get a lot of gastrointestinal issues. So it almost creates this negative pressure gradient mm. where it kind of brings things back up. So you see a lot of these dogs have issues with regurgitation. Yeah. I mean, even our dog, he's very minimally affected, but he'll regurgitate into his mouth at least like once a week. And now Freddie also, as a Brussels Griffin, had a sister that we've taken good care of, yeah. Chia, who had to have a surgery, am I not mistaken, yeah. to... to open her nostrils and yeah open so most of these dogs would benefit from surgery like at the time of spare neuter to be evaluated to have their airways evaluated and you know trim that soft palate open their their systems up a bit but at the same time all we're doing is trying to mitigate and try and minimize the effect but these dogs are always going to have breathing issues um, and in certain countries i think it was norway it was actually um recently i can't remember if it was norway don't quote me on that we'll have to get uh, our producer to fact check me but uh one of the countries they actually um ban the breeding of these breeds because it's almost considered inhumane wow. so while i am you know you bring a Frenchie into me. I love them. They're so sweet. They're such good dogs. But, you know, it's heartbreaking for me to diagnose a two-year-old Frenchie with irreversible laryngeal collapse that either we put a, you know, a, a hole in its trachea to breathe through or it's going to need, you know, to be put down. And so yeah. that's the hard side um, of these kind of cases. And I think for me particularly, just Frenchies are very common here, which is why I keep bringing them up. But it's really any of those squishy face breeds, Boston's Bulldogs. So... British Bulldogs and King Charles Cavaliers. Oh, that was in Norway? Yeah. yeah. And so Cavaliers here aren't that bad, but they must be bad there. Um, I think, yeah. So Matt, our producer, just chimed in and said that in Norway, the it was actually British Bulldogs, um, so English Bulldogs and Cavaliers. So not Frenchies. I think English Bulldogs are definitely much more common over there. We see them here too, and, you know, they're just as bad. And these dogs can get issues. God, our our yeah. uh, phone lines are just blowing up with I know, angry... I hate mail. Angry bulldog owners. I love Frenchies. I love them. <laughs> I love them, but they also keep me in business. So as a Frenchie owner, that is something you should be aware of. Well, this is and it's a good uh, segue into this question. Um, talking about the health issues that come up with dogs. How important is pet insurance? And I hear you go on this all the time. So please, this is your chance, Lauren. Yeah, I'll, I'll get on my soapbox here. I think I'm already on my soapbox probably. <laughs> but Pet insurance, like any of my friends, anyone who gets a dog, the first thing I tell them is get pet insurance. I have pet insurance on all of our animals. I do not get things free as a veterinarian, despite what you might believe. I've spent thousands of dollars, even with insurance, on my pets. But I can say that the number one thing you can do, regardless of what type of breed of dog you have, is to get pet insurance. Mm -hmm. Because when you bring your dog into the hospital because it ate a sock that is now lodged in its small intestine and it needs a $5,000 surgery and maybe that could be all the way up to 10000 depending on how sick it is, you don't want to have to have money come into play to make that decision. And so if you pay 10% of that, $1,000 is looking a lot more reasonable than 10000 And so, you know, a lot of the patients that end up seeing us at a specialty clinic have insurance because a lot of those who don't have insurance maybe you know, can't afford that type of care. So you literally insure everything else in your life. You insure your car, you insure your jewelry, insure these animals that are children to you. That is my... Because I see see it a lot. I see 
constant posts, GoFundMes, Indiegogos of people trying to raise money to save yeah. their animal. And it sucks when money becomes an issue. And I mean, I'm a soft heart. Every time I see a GoFundMe, I want to help, but I can't. I can't help everybody. You can't, and I think also I can't now even help myself. Now that pet insurance is so available, it's our responsibility as pet owners to really get that because it's stress on you know you, but also as a veterinarian, we're in a privatized industry. It's not like human medicine where you know we keep going until we we have to or have to stop. We have to make these decisions with owners for pets, and when money becomes the reason why you put down a pet, it's you know obviously devastating for an owner, but as a veterinarian, it's devastating devastating for me too because right. I want to help but I can't pay out of pocket for all my patients so pet insurance get it if you need more information about different types of pet insurance uh, hit me up I'm happy to um, let you know kind of what my favorite ones are what cover the most but do your research and get it the younger the better if you get them when they're younger it's going to be much more affordable than when they already have issues that the pet insurance company won't cover and when you do them younger then all of a sudden issues that come yeah. up will be covered oh and just as a side note don't do the whole I'm going to put 50 dollars in a bank every month and you know I'll be fine because I'm going to have that even if you do there's no saying that your two-year-old dog is not going to suddenly get a big major issue it's not just old dogs that get sick so it's really sad when I see an owner thinking ahead and trying to do that but then you know they come in with their one-year-old with this major issue and they've only been able to put exactly they have like yeah exactly so yeah. so anyways pet insurance do it I don't think you'll speak to a single veterinarian that doesn't support pet insurance well, that is my, I will step off my soapbox now um, so this is a question, and I hope Maybe. I can even pronounce this one right. This comes from Veronica. It's a little okay. bit more of a medical one. Um, how can the side effects of prednisone be minimized? So what is so, prednisone? So prednisone is a steroid, okay. um, not like a steroid, like a strength-building steroid. Um, it's a steroid. So steroids can act as immunosuppressants or anti-inflammatories. So they're used a lot in uh, veterinary medicine. And the classic clinical signs your dog will experience is excessive thirst, excessive urination, panting, ravenous appetite, muscle loss. Those are kind of like the big ones. I use prednisone a lot. Um, unfortunately, you can't really minimize the side effects of prednisone. They kind of just happen, especially if you're on high doses. So the key is only use steroids when indicated, use them at the lowest effective dose, and taper them off as quickly as possible. Okay. So unfortunately, you can't mitigate the side effects. There's nothing you can really do from that perspective. Well, thank you for that answer. Um, this one's a little bit of a, uh, this could be good inspirational for a lot of our younger listeners. Um, this is from Ash. Do you have any tips for high schoolers who want to become veterinarians? Yeah, I think, I mean, the earlier you start thinking about veterinary school, the better. It's extremely competitive. In North America, it is absolutely harder to get into veterinary school than medical school. I remember going to my guidance counselor at UBC, and he said, are you sure you want to do that? Maybe you should just do med school instead. Like, that is literally the answer I got. Um, so the biggest thing you want to do is get, especially at that age, is just start getting experience. And I think the important thing to realize is veterinary medicine is not just about loving animals. It's about loving medicine, too. So expose yourself to biology in high school. When you go into university, expose yourself to the science courses because you need to love medicine just as much as you love animals. But also, if you're looking to get into vet school and you realize, yeah, I do love both science and animals, you want to get a lot of experience. So volunteer with your, you know, your dog's veterinarian. That's what I did. I volunteered with um, Dr. Joffe, my dog's sugars vet. I volunteered at the Calgary SPCA. And then when I was in undergrad, I did, you know, worked 
to the vet clinic. So getting the experience is important. And then biggest piece of advice, get your grades. You need good grades to get into vet school. So uh, make sure, you, you know, what you do in high school and university matters. So study hard, children. <laughs> Thank you for that. Well, that is the end of our Ask the Vet questions. Until next time. Until next time. So send Um, us all your questions because I love answering all of these questions for you. Dr. Lauren loves proving that she knows what she's talking about. So just. I do know what I'm talking (laughs) about. She does. She does. Most of the time. Except for when it's about your trivia questions. Speaking of which, trivia time. It's coming up after the break. Okay. We're back with some trivia. And a brand new trivia song. It's trivia. It's trivia. trivia. <laughs> um, I'm going to ask David the his question. And I have a feeling he has the potential to get this one right. I mean, he's 0 for 3. Finally, you're seeing my potential. Yeah. Well, let's just see about that. Okay. So, you know me. I love my, like, potty humor. So, this is a poop <laughs> oh, question. God. Oh, God. How? Yeah, just just for the record, Lauren at her desk literally has a picture of the nine different stages of of animal poos. So you uh, can it's a fecal score chart. It's got a name, and there's seven different fecal scores, and it shows you the consistency. It's much easier when you're trying to ask clients what the consistency of the poop was. But yes, I do get poop pics sent to me every single day. Um, the you know the glorious parts of being a veterinarian. So, speaking of poop. How many times does a giant panda poop each day? Is it 10 times, 40 times, 5 times, or 20 times? Hmm. How many times a day? 10, 5, 20, or 40? I know pandas literally spend most of their day eating because the amount of bamboo that they have to have in order to to saturate their stomachs to survive to survive <laughs> to eat to eat to, <laughs> to saturate their stomachs when we eat um, dinner tonight i'm gonna be like let's saturate our stomachs but and that said like a bamboo that's fibrous yeah like our grandparents are drinking prune juices i'm sure if they nod on a little bit of bamboo they could help move things along and for that reason alone i think that i'm gonna say 20 times because 40 i think is a, is a red herring so let's go with 20. Okay. 20 times, David. Uh, you're wrong again. Was it 40? It was 40. Damn. The average daily diet of a giant panda consists of 20 to 30 pounds of bamboo. So given this voluminous diet, the giant panda defecates up to 40 times a day. And are they giant? I mean, on some days they might defecate 20 times. So you could be right on some days, but up to 40, yeah. Yeah. Well. I doubt they're that giant. Like, I think it's probably more like small poos, small frequent poos. Well, once again, maybe a fecal I score am of pretty three. poopy at trivia. It seems you are okay. Well, David's zero for four. Let's see. I'm 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 one just, for three, so I'm not great. I, I don't appreciate that you glaze over every one of the jokes that <laughs> I I am proud of. I'm just used to your sarcastic sense of humor. All right. Well, yeah. I want to I want to be at least get at least fifty percent. So let's see. Well, this one should be not too difficult. Oh God. Um, which animal licks its arms to stay cool? Okay. Is it A, an ape, B, a kangaroo, C, a giraffe, or D, a prairie dog? Prairie dog in it. Le- <laughs> Seems fair. Seems Going a back to the poop talk. Okay, well, I don't think it's an ape. 
because apes are like people and we sweat. So it's more, if it's a mechanism to keep cool, I mean, honestly, like cats and dogs do that. Um, so it was a prairie dog, a giraffe, or what was the other one? Kangaroo or ape. Kangaroo. Um, I'm trying to see if I've like seen any videos of these animals licking themselves. Um, I feel like the only animal I could maybe imagine licking itself like that is a giraffe. Makes I sense. Think it's like the neck goes down. Maybe long tongues. But yeah. I feel like it's probably wrong now. You're saying that. <laughs> 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 the it? answer is actually kangaroos. The right reason you said they, they don't, don't have sweat, sweat glands. Okay. So one of their ways to see stay cool is licking their forearms until soaking wet. And their body temperature cools as the saliva evaporates. That I mean, my answer was right. My logic was your right. Lo- I just didn't right. know which of those didn't yeah. sweat. But I guess marsupials, I will know from now on, do not sweat. So mm-hmm. learning point for me. But I still think I pretty much got that right because I knew why. But we do have now an answer for our listeners. A question. Not an answer. We have a question. They don't get the them. answer till next time. No, not yet. But I'm going to ask the question. Okay. Go for it. How do geckos stick to walls? Is it suction cup feet, hooked claws, (laughs) hair, or sticky secretions? (laughs) Okay. Oh, my God. Please do not show what his face just looked like on the camera. Cut to me for that, please. Those are those. It was you got to get into good. it for the for the not good. Okay, so how do geckos <sighs> stick to walls? Suction cup feet, <laughs> hooked, claws, hooked claws, hair, or sticky secretions? And we will give you the answer next time. So write into us, email us your answers. You will get pride and not maybe prize. even get the deleted scene of my facial no, expression. No, no one is ever seeing that. Oh, That's going into the vault. <laughs> Oh, that's so that all for our show. That wraps up our trivia for the day. And our show. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast, like and share and all those other things that you're supposed to do. Uh, until next week, it's Dr. Lauren. And David. And, and this, this is, is the, the podcast. podcast. <laughs> what is that? It's my cow. <laughs> that's a moo. <laughs> that was good. Oh, bad.